Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters More, the podcast for Florida Matters, WUSF Public Media's show about the issues and events that Floridians care about. I'm Robin Sussingham, host of Florida Matters. You can hear Florida Matters Tuesday evenings at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7, streaming on WUSF.org. You can also hear it Mondays at 10 p.m. on Classical WSMR 89.1, and 103.9. This week on Florida Matters, we're talking about what the lawmakers are up to in Tallahassee. It's our monthly reporters roundtable. Here in the studio with me are Florida Matters producer Stephanie Colombini. Hey, Robin. Zach Anderson, political editor of the Sarasota Herald Tribune. Thanks for having me, Robin. Hey, Zach. And William March, longtime political journalist. Hi, Robin. Hey. Okay, so um, we were talking about, on the show, we're talking about money for treatment and prevention of opioids. This has become a very hot topic in the state. There's basically an opioid epidemic. People are are overdosing left and right, especially in places like Manatee County. And Governor Scott has proposed uh, $53 million, I believe, for treatment and prevention of the opioid crisis. And I Attorney General Pam Bondi, not happy with this. Well, I I think so. There's some signs of it. You're getting some signs, a little bit of sign of a political split between Bondi and Scott on this issue. She she says the $53 million that he's proposed for this year is just a start on what needs to be done on on drug treatment. And, you know, I get get the sense that, that even today, it has yet to sink into the general public just how bad this situation is. The figures shock me when I read them lately. I mean, by one estimate, I think it was in 2016, 15 people a day died in Florida from this, mm. uh, twice as much, twice as many as in car wrecks. But there's also, uh, there's also the angle that Bondi's, Pam Bondi's political future at this point is uncertain, and she may still be, uh, even though this didn't come through after Donald Trump initially took office, she may still be looking at the possibility of uh, of a draw of a job in the uh, in the administration in the area of drug enforcement. Now, this is a very strange session, legislative session, because of all the people who are jockeying for higher office, for governor, for U.S. senator. Um, there's a lot of people who have had to resign because of sexual impropriety. Um, there's people having affairs. There's surveillance. Um, so that's that's one of the things that's going on. I think there's a lot of people right now, Stephanie, that aren't um, even being represented right. in the legislature. I think it's over a million Floridians that don't have representation right now, and a lot of them are in the Tampa Bay area because of Jack Latvala. He had... I think like half a million people in his district, Alex Miller in Sarasota, um, she resigned. So they're not. Why did she resign? 
you know, she basically just said it was too much of a time commitment, and she she runs her family's medical supply business. So it was a very unexpected, though. I mean, she didn't even serve out her first two-year term. She resigned after like nine months. So there's a special election mm-hmm. on February 13th to fill her seat, which is a, a pretty hot race, actually, is kind of viewed as a bellwether to kind of how the political winds are blowing. So that's a lot, a lot of, of people Democrats right now. Turning out. Yes, right. yes. Yeah. But then Miller also later came back and said that that one of the reasons she resigned was the political atmosphere in the House. Yeah, which we talked about earlier. This is a very top-down approach. Punishing atmosphere. She felt like right. she was punished to some degree because of the votes that she took that went against leadership. So um, there's uh, you know, concern that there is a, a very dictatorial approach to leadership. Kathleen Peters has been given basically a stool in the corner at this (laughs) point. Well, we talked about we talked about Peters and we talked about Alex Miller. We could also have talked about Dan Rollerson. But what Mm -hmm. what isn't realized and this is really interesting because of the reports that at the federal level, some three dozen Republican congressmen are going to leave their seats at the end of this term rather than run for reelection. Well, if you look back and count in the last year or so, Nine Republican state House members in Florida, nine members of the, the state House, who are eligible to run for reelection have decided not to. And that includes people like Miller, Rollerson, and Kathleen Peters, who will be running for a county commission seat instead. And several of those people have talked about the political environment in the House as the reason they're doing that, or one of the reasons they're doing that. So. Is there going to be a special election for Senator Jack Latvala's seat? There's not. You know, there's been a lot of special elections this year uh, because of people who have left the office. And the governor came out and said with Latvala's seat, he's not going to do a special election. And that was on the recommendation of uh, the local supervisors of elections who said that um, it would cost a lot of money. These special elections uh, cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, you know, you have uh, the general, you know, the the regular 2018 election coming up in November. And I think they're just going to wait. That means that people won't be represented during that time period. But it's also, it's kind of difficult if you set a special election, you win that election, then you have to turn around and run again in November for the seat during the, for the regular uh, election. So it, it creates a really kind of odd uh, and, and really hectic political um, climate to have those two elections back to back. But obviously, there's a, a downside to not having representation. It could be in some of the things that we talked about earlier where USF is is having some issues about potentially branching off uh, and making their branch campuses uh, no longer independently accredited. Latvala is a major presence in the Tampa Bay area uh, and a major political force and likely would mm. have had a say Won't in that debate. No, they don't have an advocate. Yeah. Well, so will there be an appointee? Will Governor Scott appoint someone to take his place? There have been there have been some rumors that I've picked up to that effect. Um, if he did, it would probably be the person who is the Republican frontrunner for whatever election replaces Latvala, and that would be Ed Hooper. But I haven't reported on this, and right now, Robin, I don't even know whether Rick Scott has the authority to do that. Um, one thing I would point out, though, we talked about Latvala's absence, and um, the, uh, there are a number of issues in the legislature this year on which his absence is very likely to be felt. One of them is the the USF versus its branch campuses issue. Uh, Environmental issues, Latvala has always taken strong pro-environment stances, uh, sometimes maverick stances within his party. 
uh, issues like that, there's a pretty big vacuum there because of his absence. Oh, yeah. He did the beach funding last year, and he had pushed for a bill to kind of improve how the way they're restored and taken care of, and that didn't pass. But it was something they had said they would take up this year. I don't know if anybody's pushing for it in his absence because Kathleen Peters was the other proponent of that. It also leaves something of a, a power vacuum within the St. Petersburg legislative delegation. Now, you have Chris Sprouls, who's in the lineup for leadership in the House in, I think, 2020 or 2022 to become House Speaker. But but other than that, it leaves uh, probably the weakest Pinellas County legislative delegation we've seen in years. His absence. His absence does, yes. Hmm. And Latvala was also a very moderating force in the legislature. You know, he was kind of one of the last really influential moderate Republicans up there who really could could swing votes on, on a lot of issues. And so it'll be interesting to see if this session is a little bit more conservative um, without his presence up there. It certainly, sort of I seems think it that will way. Be. Yeah, with the sanctuary cities and... Um, yeah, let's talk about that. Um, th- so there is a House Bill 9 sponsored by Representative Larry Metz of Yahala. Okay. Has anyone else heard of Yahala? Because I am a <laughs> I am a lifelong Floridian, and I have not heard of it. But is that am I I'm saying it right? I, I, I cannot <laughs> offer a, a opinion on that pronunciation. And, 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 and William, no, you're blushing because I, I have, think you don't know either. I have no insight into <laughs> Yahala. All right. Well, anyway, this bill would prohibit Florida communities from acting as sanctuary cities for undocumented immigrants. In other words. Um, uh, what they're saying that local officials um, have to cooperate with federal immigration officials. Um, they could lose their job if they don't. And and House Speaker Corcoran is a big proponent of this bill. So, yeah, um, I actually saw almost like a campaign style TV ad he had released where um, he had started with this kind of Fox News montage of um, clips from in San Francisco. Um, there had been an incident where a young woman was killed. I don't even know if it was accidentally. I don't know the full details, but an illegal no, was, immigrant was, was the that shooter. Was an outrageous incident. Right. And so it's this montage of, you know, news anchors saying that San Francisco's sanctuary city laws killed that woman. And then Richard Corcoran comes on and says, I'm not going to let this happen in Florida. Um, and so he's definitely. Yep. People were very outraged by that because that man should not have been in this. He should not have been in the United States. I believe he he was acquitted. Right. That it was an accident. That it was an accidental shooting. But he shouldn't have been there. It should have been a moot point. He shouldn't have been there. That's true. But the whole idea of sanctuary cities as applies to Florida is basically just a joke anyway. What are being called sanctuary cities is this. If you're a sheriff's office or a police department and you bust somebody for speeding and you arrest this person or bust them for some other minor offense and you arrest them and they don't have legal status, then you're being called a sanctuary city if you decline, if if an order comes to release the person because the legal requirements have been satisfied and you don't release that person then you supposedly are a sanctuary city. What you're being required to do is hold the person in custody with no legal cause, with, with no legal right. finding. Right, so sheriffs, I think, are <clears throat> not well, Sheriff, really Sheriff Gualtieri in, in, in Pinellas County basically came out and said this is unconstitutional. He can't, they can't do it. And the latest thing is that a number of sheriffs who 
agreed with mm-hmm. Gual- with Gualtieri and who were afraid of being sued for holding people with no legal justification right. have come up with what's being called a workaround, which uh-huh. is involves notifying federal authorities that you have the person in jail and that allows the federal authorities to issue some sort of order or writ or or court order as a legal pretext for holding You think that'll help this go through? Well, yes, it looks like a compromise mm-hmm. that'll settle the issue. I think I think Waltieri has withdrawn his opposition mm-hmm. because of this this workaround. Workaround. They've passed this sanctuary city bill uh, in the House three years in a row now. It seems like the Senate, uh, you know, is unlikely to take this up because there's a lot of um, Hispanic Republicans from South Florida who are opposed to this and who are concerned about, um, you know, what this means for uh, immigrants in their communities. So, uh, you know, so you think it probably will not. The odds seem to be against it. Um, you know, it hasn't passed the Senate in the last two years, so I'm not sure why it would pass this year. But it, it's important politically. Uh, yeah. And, I think Corcoran, if he were to run for governor, his support behind this kind of points to pushing for a campaign that would move further to the right than, say, Adam Putnam. Well, that's where his strength is. He's coming He's coming from the right. right. Uh, to his Adam problem Putnam. politically is that Ron DeSantis, a uh, congressman from, uh, from northeast Florida, has, got- has managed to, to get past him on the right, get the endorsement of Donald Trump. And Corcoran needs an issue like this uh, to try to compete with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Senator Jeff Brandis always comes up with interesting ideas. <laughs> and he is um, one of the things that he's uh, he's got this year is he wants to end the suspension of driver's licenses uh, for non-driving offenses. I actually talked to him about that. He's making criminal justice reform in general kind of a big um, priority this session. And Basically, he feels that when you're suspended for something like not paying a court fine or skipping school, things like that, that don't have anything to do with you being a danger on the road, it's just an entryway into the criminal justice system because now you've got the suspended driver's license. It's pretty hard to get around without a car in Florida. Mm -hmm. So if you kind of feel compelled, you've got to get to work or you're getting fired. So you drive and then you get pulled over. Now you're arrested and it's a downward spiral. So he feels if you're not actually a danger on the road, this shouldn't be happening. Well, this, Robin, what's happening here, this is a gross injustice uh, that everyone has known about. It's a way of preying on and punishing the poor to get state revenue. And Brandis is correct. What happens is people get a driver's license suspension for some non, non-traffic infraction. In many cases, it's something like being stopped and you, you fail to pay your insurance premium and your insurance is your insurance has now lapsed. And if you get stopped, you no longer have proof of insurance. What happens next is now you can no longer drive, so you can't get to work. So you can't pay the insurance premiums or the court fines or fees that you lost your license for not paying in the first place. And it snowballs because then the clerk of court is allowed to sell your account to a debt collection agency and add penalties and fees. So what you have is people who are working poor or poor to start with suddenly find themselves facing thousands and thousands of dollars of debt, 
bankruptcy in many cases because they can't get to work this because be their simple, driver's licenses are suspended. a simple thing to kind of solve Everybody, that. Well, it well, would be, would except be. that the clerk of court's offices in Florida depend on this revenue. They can't run without it. And so for several years, there's been legislation. Every year, there's been legislation filed to try to fix this sort of Dickensian system of punishing the poor. And the legislation has failed every year because if they ended this, they wouldn't have enough money to run the clerk of court's offices. I think Brandis said it was like a $45 million budget gap it would create. So he acknowledges that's a challenge. But at the same time, are you not going to solve the problem? You know, think of other ways to fill that budget gap is what, you know, he was hoping people will do. There's a lot of these criminal justice reform ideas that are floating around in the legislature, and a lot of them have bipartisan support. Brandis is a Republican, um, but there's a lot of Democrats and Republicans that support, um, you know, kind of rolling back a little bit some of the really harsh laws that were instituted in, in the 90s, especially, um, you know, with mandatory minimum sentences and things like that. Um, it seems despite this bipartisan support, that a lot of these bills still face a tough road to pass in the legislature, whether it's because of budget reasons that we've just talked about or because some lawmakers uh, don't want to appear soft on crime. There was a bill that I just wrote about about um, theft and the fel- the threshold for what constitutes felony theft. Florida In Florida, it's $300. If you steal anything worth more than uh, $300, you're charged with a felony, which can be punishable by serious jail or prison time. Um, most states, even conservative southern states, have it at above $1,000 now. Um, and that bill actually seems to be moving in both chambers, uh, both the House and the Senate. But a lot of these bills are only moving in the Senate. They're not really moving in the House, at least not in the same form. And they face a much higher hurdle in the House where people are, uh, a lot of the leaders are more concerned about um, rolling back some of these. uh, Appearing soft on crime. That's it for today. I'm Robin Sessingham. Thanks for joining us. Listen to Florida Matters Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m., Sunday mornings at 7.30 on WUSF 89.7. You can always find it online at WUSF.org. Come back next week for another episode of Florida Matters More and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher.